0: Listen, the message of Paul in Ephesians 2 is that in spite of former hostilities, in spite of real differences, there can be peace between brothers and sisters in Christ. Whatever the walls that divide us, Christ has broken them down.
1: Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington, Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hi, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom continues his current series with part four of He Himself is Our Peace. Are there walls in place that divide you and your family members, co-workers, or maybe even fellow church members? Sadly, since the time of Adam and Eve, the history and temperament of the world have been one of alienation and conflict between individuals, people groups, and nations. Some people may even blame a person's belief in God as the source of all the conflict. But what does the Scripture really teach? Does it explain the ongoing hostility? And more importantly, does it yield true hope? Is there true peace? The answer is a resounding yes. Open your Bible and let's discover more from God's Word right now on The Word Unleashed.
0: Acts 21. This is so important because this is what informs what we're studying in Ephesians. Ephesians takes its cues from this historical context. Acts 21, verse 17. Around Pentecost, we arrived in Jerusalem, Luke writes, the brethren received us gladly. And the following day, Paul went in with us to James, that's the half-brother of Christ, and all the elders were present. After he'd greeted them, he began to relate one by one the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they began glorifying God, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. Now understand, these are true Jewish brothers they are not Judaizers, that is, they are not those who believe you have to do these things in order to earn your salvation. Instead, they are simply Jews, and until the book of Hebrews was written, Jews in the New Testament continued to practice the ceremonial law, spelled out in, Mo- in Moses' time. And so they're zealous for the law, verse 21, and they have been told about you, That you are teaching all the Jews, Paul, who are among the Gentiles, to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. Again, we're talking about Jewish believers. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Therefore, here's the plan. Do this that we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take them and purify yourself along with them. Stop there. Now, why does Paul need to be purified? Well, in the rabbinical literature, if you were a Jewish male and you traveled into Gentile countries, which Paul has been doing as a missionary for some time, you rendered yourself ceremonially unclean. So there was a seven-day purification process that you had to go through. Purify yourself along with them, verse 24, and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. This was part of the process. And by paying their expenses to do this for the sacrifice and the other things that would be offered, Paul was showing his piety, that he really was interested in the Mosaic law and in the rabbinical rules. He was still a practicing Jew. And all will know that there is nothing to the things which they have been told about you, but that you yourself also walk orderly, keeping the law." But concerning the Gentiles who have believed, we wrote, having decided that they should abstain from meat sacrifice to idols, from blood, from what is strangled, and from fornication. These were things all connected to idolatry. The last word there, fornication, probably doesn't mean the broadest scope of fornication. That's forbidden for Jew and Gentile. Probably is referring to close intermarriage with close family members, as was practiced among the Gentiles but would have been a great offense to the Jewish believers. So, Paul agrees. Verse 26, he took them in the next day, purifying himself along with them. He went into the temple, giving notice of the completion of the days of purification until the sacrifice was offered for each one of them. Here's how the process went. You went in on the first day. You let them know what you were going to do. You prepared for the sacrifice. You were also supposed to come back on the third day of the seven, and on the seventh day back to the temple, and this was part of the process of this purification. So Paul has agreed to do it, and he follows through with it. Verse 27, when the seven days were almost over, this is probably the seventh day when he had to go back to the temple, this was the rule, the Jews from Asia, probably from Ephesus, as we'll see in a moment... Upon seeing him in the temple, these are unbelieving Jews now, seeing Paul in the temple begin to stir up all the crowd, and they laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, come to our aid. This is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people and the law in this place. And he's even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. Here was the heart of the accusation. Paul has defiled the temple because he has brought Gentiles past the wall. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian in the city with him, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Wrongly, but that's what they thought. Paul has brought this Gentile Christian from Ephesus into the temple, into the court of Israel where he would have gone as a Jewish male, and he's brought a Gentile with him. He violated the temple. He brought a Gentile past the dividing wall. And where was this Gentile from? He was from the church in Ephesus. A riot breaks out. Paul has to be rescued. Look at verse 30. Then all the city was provoked. The people rushed together, taking hold of Paul. They dragged him out of the temple and out of the court of Israel there. They're taking him out, but they shut the doors where they couldn't go outside the temple hill. While they were seeking to kill him, a report came up to the commander of the Roman cohort overlooking the Temple Mount was a Roman fortress called the Fortress Antonia, looking out over the Temple Mount so they could keep order when there were hundreds of thousands of people there for the various feasts. And they get word, all Jerusalem is in confusion. Verse 32, at once this Roman official took some soldiers and centurions, plural, centurion oversaw a hundred men, so that means there were at least a couple hundred soldiers with him, probably more and ran down to them, and when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander came up, took hold of him, and ordered him to be bound with two chains and began began asking who he was and what he had done. If you're familiar with the story, you know that Paul eventually asked to speak to the crowd. So as they're exiting the temple mount, going up the steps to the fortress Antonia, he asked to speak to the crowd. He turns from those steps and speaks to the crowd that's gathered there and they listen to him but let me show you the end of the story go over to chapter 22 verse 17 as he finishes telling his story to this crowd verse 17 says it happened when i returned to jerusalem and was praying in the temple i fell into a trance this is one of six times in the book of acts paul is especially communicated to by the spirit this is not normative for us paul was an apostle And I saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, but Lord, they themselves understand that in the synagogues, one after another, I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of your witness Stephen was being shed, I was standing by approving and watching out for the coats of those who were slaying him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles." notice how they respond to that last sentence. Verse 22, they listened to him up to this statement and then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were crying out and throwing off their cloaks and tossing dust into the air, we don't know if they were just completely worked up or if they were preparing to stone him or possibly both. There was this animosity toward the Gentiles and what really threw them over the edge is when Paul said that God himself had said that he cared about and wanted to reach out to the Gentiles that was too much so the animosity and the hostility caused by that dividing wall was graphic in Paul's mind it was the reason he was in prison in Rome and you can bet when Trophimus from the church in Ephesus returned home he had a story to tell to the church in Ephesus and you can be sure that that incident undoubtedly has raised tensions among the Jewish and Gentile believers in the churches. That wall in the temple was a constant physical reminder of the spiritual animosity separating Jews and Gentiles, just like the Berlin Wall of the last century. There was a wall of incredible hatred and contempt between these two groups. To the Jews, Gentiles were unclean dogs with whom even passing contact rendered you defiled. But it didn't go just one way. To the Gentiles, Jews were, quote, enemies of the human race. One writer said that the Jews, one ancient writer said that the Jews were filled with a hostile disposition toward everybody. This week I was reading a little bit of the Roman historian Tacitus's Histories, he wrote, The Jewish religion is tasteless and mean. All their customs which are at once perverse and disgusting owe their strength to their very badness. That's how the Romans thought of the Jews. You remember Pilate in the trial of Jesus? He says, What am I, a Jew? And you can just hear the sarcasm dripping from his words. In Acts 16, In Philippi, when they brought Paul and Silas to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they have thrown our whole city into confusion. So in the ancient world, there was this settled and mutual hatred between Jews and Gentiles. But Paul writes the church in Ephesus, a church that has been deeply affected by that physical wall in the temple. And he told them that by the ministry of Christ, Christ has broken down the spiritual wall of hostility symbolized by that physical wall in the temple. He broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. As we saw last week, reconciliation with God is foundational. But where there is true reconciliation with God, there is also reconciliation with other people. Ephesians 2 shows us that Christ brings peace with God, and He brings peace between people. Where Christ is truly known, there is an end to the hostility, no matter how deeply ingrained it may be. You know, the alienation and hostility that we experience toward others has many different causes. National boundaries cause that. That's why there are wars between countries. Ingrained cultural differences from the foods we eat to how we keep our homes to the different languages we speak. Racial differences are major causes of division and hostility. This is a pandemic problem. The most pronounced example today is certainly the animosity between the Jews and the Arabs, but it's present everywhere. Whether black or white or Hispanic or Asian, whatever it is, we are prone to be hostile because of the differences in race. Religious differences are the saddest cause of all of the hostility that exists in our world. At any given moment in the world's history, religious differences lie behind open conflict. Whether you want to go back a few years to the extended conflict between Protestants and Catholics in Northern Ireland, or right now between the Sunnis and the Shiites, Jews and Muslims. But regardless of what causes it, the hostility, the alienation, is a constant reality But what Paul is saying here is that where there is Christ, where there are believers, where Christ is truly loved, there is an end to the hostility that disfigures all of mankind. Instead of war with God, we have peace with God. Instead of constant hostility with others, Christians experience peace with others as well. Perhaps the most beautiful and compelling story of that I've ever read comes from the pen of a man named Tim Kimmel. He tells the story that shortly after the turn of the last century, Japan invaded Korea. They overwhelmed the Koreans with a brutality that would sicken the strongest of stomachs. Their crimes against women and children were inhuman. In fact, there are many Koreans alive today who still bear the physical and emotional scars of the Japanese occupation of the last century. One group that was singled out especially for persecution during that time was Christians. They started by refusing to allow churches to meet. One pastor especially entreated his local Japanese police chief for permission to meet for services. And his nagging was finally accommodated, and the police chief offered to unlock the church for one service. Well, it didn't take long for word to travel Committed Christians absolutely starved for an opportunity for unhindered worship quickly made their plans. Long before dawn on that promised Sunday, Korean families throughout a wide area made their way to that little church. The Korean church has always had a reputation as a singing church, and that Sunday morning, the voices of praise could not be contained within that little wood frame building. Song after song rang out through the open windows into that bright Sunday morning. It was during a stanza of Nearer My God to Thee that the Japanese police chief waiting outside gave the orders. The people toward the back of the church could hear when they barricaded the doors, but no one realized that they had doused the entire church with kerosene until they smelled the smoke. There was an immediate rush for the open windows, but their momentary hope recoiled in horror as the men attempting to climb out the windows fell back their bodies riddled with bullets. So the pastor knew that it was the end. With a calm that only comes from the Spirit of God, he led his congregation in a hymn. Words were a fitting farewell to earth and a loving salutation to heaven. The first few words he started to sing was all the prompting the terrified congregation needed, and they all joined in with one heart and voice. The smoke burning their eyes, death before them, They instantly joined as one to sing of their hope and to leave their legacy. Just before the roof collapsed, they sang the last verse of a familiar hymn. Their words were an eternal testimony to their faith. But drops of grief can never repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away, tis all that I can do. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away, It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. The strains of music and the wails of children were lost in a roar of flames. The souls of those who left singing here finished their chorus in the throne of God. The Koreans built a monument on that site to memorialize the people who died and to serve as a sort of mute reminder of their pain. Many years later, the first glimmer of hope came. It was 1972, and a group of Japanese pastors were traveling through Korea. They came upon the memorial. When they read the details of the tragedy, they read the names of their brothers and sisters who had perished, they were overcome with shame. And they returned to Japan, committed to trying, in their small way, to right the wrong that had been done. They began to collect money, and within a short period of time, there was an outpouring of love. And had been collected, the money was transferred through the proper channels, and a beautiful white church building was erected on the site of the tragedy. When the dedication service for the new building was held, a delegation from Japan joined the relatives of those who had lost their lives there. Although their generosity was acknowledged and their attempts at peace were appreciated, the memories were still there. The Korean bitterness had festered for decades. Christian brothers or not, these Japanese were descendants of a ruthless enemy. Speeches were made, the details of the tragedy were recalled, the names of the dead were honored. Someone in charge of the agenda thought it would be a good idea to close the service out by singing the hymn which they had died singing. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away during the singing of that hymn, one Korean brother turned toward Japanese brother, and then another, and another, and soon the floodgates opened and a wave of emotion let go. The Koreans met their new Japanese friends in the middle. They clung to each other. They wept. Japanese crying tears of repentance and the Koreans tears of forgiveness. As Kimmel writes, heaven had sent the gift of reconciliation to a little white church in Korea. Listen, the message of Paul in Ephesians 2 is that in spite of former hostilities, in spite of real differences, there can be peace between brothers and sisters in Christ. Whatever the walls that divide us, Christ has broken them down. Look at Galatians chapter 3. This is how Paul puts it in another letter. Galatians 3 verse 28, he says, "'You are all sons of God through faith.'" There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Obviously, this doesn't erase the various roles we've been given, but this is what Paul was saying. Whatever the differences are here that divide us, those have been done away with in Christ, and we have been made to enjoy unity and equality before God. Christ has broken down the racial and ethnic walls. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile doesn't matter the color of your skin. We can worship and serve together and genuinely love each other. He's broken down the national walls. Japanese and Korean can worship together. American and Indian and Mexican, whatever it may be. He's broken down the cultural walls. It doesn't matter if you're from a Hispanic culture or an African-American culture, a Southern culture or a Northern culture, the L.A. culture or the Dallas culture. None of it matters. Christ has broken down the social walls. Notice he says both slave and free. It doesn't matter what your social distinctions may be, rich or poor, socially elite or social outcast, academic, intellectual, or illiterate. Whatever our social differences, we can worship Christ together as equals before God. Christ has demolished the wall that sometimes exists between the sexes. Paul includes it here in Galatians 3. While they still have their appointed roles, both men and women can find spiritual equality and unity in Christ in spite of the differences that exist. Listen, wherever there is ongoing hostility between Christians who embrace the true Christ and the true gospel and the true scripture, there is sin. Let me ask you this question. Is there anyone with whom you have to admit or with whom others would say you have a hostile relationship? If the answer to that is yes, then there are only three options. Either you're not genuinely in Christ, and you've not experienced the peace of God yourself, or you have lived in ignorance of what Christ expects and demands of you, or you're living in open rebellion to what He commands. He Himself is our peace. He has broken down the barrier of all the dividing walls. It's true now in the church, however imperfect it may be, but someday... There will be perfect reconciliation with others, regardless of the things that divide us here. I love what Paul says in Revelation 5, or excuse me, what John says. John the Apostle, as he saw there in that heavenly throne room, he saw the praise of the people of God. Listen to what he says. Revelation 5, 9, they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain, and you purchased for God with your blood... People from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Folks, it doesn't matter the things that could potentially divide us here. In the church, the walls have been broken down, and we are one. Our Father, we thank You for this rich passage. We thank You that Christ is our peace, not only with You, but with each other. And those things that divide us here that can be as real as walls, like the real dividing wall was at the temple. Father, we're thankful that in Christ those walls have been torn down. I thank You that in this church You have brought diversity of various kinds. Lord, help us to appreciate that and help us to live together as brothers and sisters in Christ. We genuinely love each other because You have torn down the walls. And you have united us in our Savior. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.
1: That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part four of He Himself is Our Peace. Tom will continue with part five on our next program as he once again takes us to God's Word. We do hope you'll join us then. Well, Tom, what would you say to our listeners who are faithful to their church, but realize they've had an inward hostility against a co-worker or a pastor, teacher, or even a longtime brother or sister in Christ?
0: You know, Bill, our Lord is so clear. Now that we have come to enjoy peace, peace with God, and a framework for peace with others, we are to pursue that peace. With those around us. Can I just encourage you if you're listening today and there is hostility between you and another person? Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a co worker, maybe it's someone else, maybe it's a member of your church. Let me encourage you to do what our Lord urges us to do, and that is don't even plan to worship again until you at least pursue reconciliation with that person. Sometimes it's not possible. That's why Paul says, As much as lies within us, be at peace with all men. But go as far as you can. To pursuing reconciliation with those in your life.
1: Thanks Tom and friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on the word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at the word Again that's listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And don't forget to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.